Well, peace be with you. Hey, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to dive in your word tonight. I pray that you would give us uh, just clarity as we uh, see what you have to say. Thank you for the uh, wonderful worship experience that we had thus far and for getting us to this point in the day. May you bless this time uh, that we have and help us not to take it for granted. Wake us up uh, to you and to the things, that, the truths that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, well, we're continuing our brand new series in the book of Matthew, and uh, today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 18 through 25, and what Matthew is doing is um, he's answering the question for us, uh, who is Jesus? And last week, we looked at the first 17 verses um, of Matthew chapter 1, and we saw how Matthew, uh, this Jewish writer whose name was Levi, uh, was impact, who was impacted by Jesus Christ and became his follower, uh, some uh, decades later uh, is, is presenting this to the church and this letter is going in circulation and he seeks to show who Jesus is, that he is the promised Messiah. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, we see that he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so last week we looked at how this account is a sort of a new genesis, a new beginning. In fact, that word genealogy is the same word uh, uh, transliterated that we, where we get the word genesis. So this is the genesis of Jesus Christ. This is the origin of Jesus Christ. And even within the genealogy, we looked at how uh, last week, how important it is and how Matthew was showing us uh, that, that Jesus fulfills this, this messianic role as the hero of Israel, son of David, but also as the one who comes to, to heal the nations, to, to gather the nations as the son of Abraham. And a big point that Matthew has made through the genealogy is that, that Jesus is not just a Jewish savior, right? But he's the Gentile savior and that he has Gentile blood running through him. And so we looked at that last week and how this is a new Genesis. And we see in verse 18 that Matthew wants to continue on with this theme as he says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. And so he's picking up on that same theme in verse 1, verse 1 with the account of the genealogy. This is the birth narrative. And what Matthew's going to do here is he's going to give us five stories about Jesus's childhood. And each of these stories is simply uh, here to reveal more about Jesus and why he is the Messiah, but why he is much more than that and how he fulfills these messianic promises, but he fulfills much more than that. Jesus is absolutely fascinating. And we're going to see this through the telling of these five stories. But as I said last week, this new Genesis, Matthew really uh, makes the first two chapters kind of model after Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we have this overarching theme of God creating the heavens and the earth and how he does this in seven days. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, the book of Genesis, we see uh, this kind of zeroing in, narrowing in on Adam and Eve and how we pretty much got to where we are. Well, think about Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2 in a similar way. Chapter 1 is this overarching theme of the book of Matthew. Chapter 2 is this kind of narrowing in, this zeroing in uh, to the crown of, of God's new creation, which is Jesus Christ. 
And he's going to narrow in and get more detailed on how these things came to be. It's absolutely beautiful. But what we're going to see in today's story is really relevant for all of us here today. Because I think all of us in life, we deal with surprises, right? We deal with things that kind of throw us off, that catch us off guard. We deal with messiness and pain and loss and things that absolutely confuse us. And today we're going to be introduced to to Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, and they are going to have some, a big surprise. Uh, They are going to receive some some news that's going to completely uh, catch them off guard as it will catch you off guard. But here's the thing. When, normally when we find ourselves in these surprises and we find ourselves in difficult situations, especially if it lingers or if it's really big, we can begin to ask ourselves, like, Lord, why is this happening to me? And we can start seeking and desiring clarity um, in regards to whether or not we're in God's will. And what we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 27, is two people who from all that we have in the scriptures, whether it's here or in Luke chapter 2, are devout, devout followers of God. Both Mary and Joseph are presented as very righteous people who are doing uh, as, as much as they can humanly possible what they're supposed to be doing. And yet they're going to be met with this, what seems to be this storm, what seems to be this, this crazy situation. And we're going to see that they're going to uh, respond as human beings would respond by, by wondering and asking some questions. But ultimately they're going to respond by being faithful. And the reason they're going to respond by being faithful is because they're going to learn that God is with them. And that's really my point of this sermon is to remind you today in the midst of life's twist and turns, Christian, that you can be faithful to God in the midst of your own insecurities, in the midst of your own pain, in the midst of your own shame, guilt, and loss, if you hold on to the beautiful truth that God is with you. Now, I want to show you how, how we get there by looking at two main points. The first is this. In this text, you're going to see a controversial pregnancy, And what we're going to learn from this controversial pregnancy is that God's ways are not our ways. And the second, we're going to see a prophetic fulfillment. And what we're going to learn from this prophetic fulfillment is that God is with us. Now check this out. Verse 18, Matthew writes this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So we see some controversy in this story. And the the controversy is, is that Mary is pregnant. Now, Mary is pregnant. And according to Luke chapter 2, we see that Mary um, is visited by an angel named Gabriel. And this angel tells Mary, Mary, you're pregnant. And Mary's like, yo, how can this be? I've never done the marriage act. I haven't been with Joseph. And he says, it is because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has, has given you a child. Okay? And so Joseph hears this revelation And the Bible says that Joseph is this righteous man, and he loves him some Mary. And so even though he has a right to kind of put her out, he doesn't because he doesn't want to disgrace her publicly. Now, a lot of times when we think of engagement uh, in the 21st century, right? Uh, Boy meets girl, 
Uh, boy and girl fall uh, in love. Boy proposes to girl. Well, it's the 21st century. Perhaps a girl proposes to the guy. And, uh, and, and they get engaged. If things go well, they get married. If things don't go well, they break it off. And it's like a really bad dating relationship that leaves a, a scar, but it's not as bad as, as divorce. And so what we see in this text, though, is that this is different, a Jewish engagement, a Jewish betrothal, because we read in verse 19 that even though they're engaged, they're going to get a divorce. So what's happening here? What's happening here is in the Jewish tradition, once a, a family was engaged, they were under contract. So Mary is probably 12 years old. She's grown up probably knowing that she's going to marry Joseph, and according to Jewish custom. They go under contract to marry each other, and they're waiting on the marriage and everything to be finalized. And Joseph and his family is, uh, is going through the con contractual agreements. And once they get married, they have a week-long celebration and party in which they're at the center. They drink, they eat, they're married. It is the event of a lifetime. Now, before they get to that point, though, Joseph hears that Mary is pregnant with child. Okay, and, and the Bible says that, that Joseph responds in a way that is, is absolutely, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, it's, it's marvelous, that, that he doesn't want to, to harm her or to put her out there, but rather he just wants to end this in a way that she doesn't get hurt, because according to Jewish custom and law, she could, uh, her family would have been shamed, would have been a, a black mark on her, and she could have even been put to death and stoned to death. Now, Joseph reminds us of someone named Joseph in the Old Testament, a person who is wrongly mistreated by his brothers. He's slow into slavery. He gets the bad end of the stick as Potiphar's wife uh, 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 basically accuses him of sexual assault when he didn't. And just like the Joseph in the New Testament, we see this Joseph, even though he's put under immense circumstances and pain, he responds faithfully. He does what God calls him to do, and he seeks to have mercy. But I just want you for a second to imagine being Mary. Imagine having your life kind of planned out. Imagine being a faithful Jewish girl who has done all she can to worship Yahweh. And imagine having an angel visit you and interrupt your life and tell you that you're pregnant and now you have to explain this to Joseph, to your parents, to his parents, and to the entire community that is an honor-shame community. And the reason you're in this situation is not because you've been unfaithful, but you're in this situation because God placed you there. Now imagine you're Joseph. Imagine you've done everything you can to be faithful, to respect Mary's body, and to wait for marriage. And all of a sudden, you're put in this incredibly difficult situation where she is pregnant. She's going to be showing soon. It's like, what do you do with that? Like, what, like what do you do when life takes a turn and you find yourself in a crazy situation? Well, I pray that the Lord will give you the wisdom and the strength to do what Joseph did here. What Joseph does here in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this heartache, is he waits on the Lord. He doesn't make a, a rash decision. 
He, he contemplates in his heart. And look at how faithful God is. He's faithful. He's good. We can't always understand him. We, we, we don't always uh, 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 know what he's up to. He is mysterious, as we sung earlier. But one thing we know is he's faithful. And before we crack and before we blow up, we see that God is able to meet us where we are. God sends a dream to Joseph. And the Bible says that an angel appears to Joseph, and look how the angel approaches Joseph. Joseph, son of David. Now, why does he call him son of David? He calls him son of David, and Matthew records this greeting as son of David because it points us back to verse 1. Because Matthew wants us to understand clearly that Jesus is from the line of David. But not only is Jesus David's son, but Jesus is also God's son. And Jesus is not David's biological son. And this is important. This is what we call last week, we talked about this hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not like half, uh, he's not like Vince Carter, half man, half amazing. No, he's 100% God and 100% man. And the reason that this is an important doctrine as Christians is because it is because he's 100% man. Uh, God, that he is able to withstand trials and temptation, though he is tempted in every way that we are, he is without sin. And yet he's 100% man and that he was really tempted and he was really put in difficult situations where he could have given in. But by uh, uh, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and because of his divinity, he, he doesn't. So what Matthew is doing is he's establishing this doctrine and he's, he's getting us ready for this more unfolding of who Jesus is. And this angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, why would he be afraid to take her as his wife? Well, part of the reason I think Joseph would have been afraid to take her as his wife is because if he takes her as his wife, right, and she's pregnant, that kind of leaves some question around his integrity. And the writer has written this in such a way that we see that he is a man of integrity, a man who cares about his reputation. So this is a conundrum. This is a difficult situation. And isn't life like that? Isn't life complex? Like life isn't just black or white, right? It's, it's complex. And that's what wisdom is, Sophie. That's, that's, that's the wisdom. Wisdom is, is learning to, to live in the gray. When we don't know exactly what to do, to wait upon the Lord. Isaiah says, they who wait upon the Lord shall receive their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And here's my challenge to this generation of Christians who live in a right now culture, in a microwave society, in a very uh, 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 give it to me my way society. We have to be careful because we can bring that same attitude and worldview to our faith. And we can begin to treat God in a way that says, God, I need what I need right now. And, and we can have a very short uh, 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 perseverance, a very uh, a short uh, uh, build to, to, to suffering and to trials. And part of growing into maturity and being discipled into the way of Christ is, is learning to live in the in-between. It's learning to wait. It's having the faith to know that God will get through to you and he will speak clearly when it's, when it's time. 
And so Joseph gets this dream. And in his dream, this angel comes to speak to him. And I just this week, a lot of times when I read uh, the Gospels, I just try to sit and imagine myself as each character. And I'm a little crazy, right? And so, um, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a little, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm Jamal from Chicago, from the hood. So I'm thinking through this story, and I'm trying to put myself in Joseph's situation. And I'm trying to imagine myself as Joseph um, and, and Mary, uh, my, my wife Amber, we're engaged, and she comes to me and says, hey, I'm with child, with the Holy Spirit, and I'm wrestling like Joseph. And then all of a sudden, I have a dream, and an angel tells me, like, yes, God gave her this child. Man, that would have had to have been some dream. <laughs> like, I would have I revisited what I ate the night before. I would have said, you know what? We've been having this conversation, and now my conscience <laughs> is in my conscience, and I just dream this. But this dream gets through to Joseph, and he knows that he has experienced the holy. God knows how to get through to us. And God's primary way to get through to us is through his word. And that's the way we should trust most. But God knows each of us specifically, and he'll get through to us in ways that line up with his word. And that's what God did here with Joseph. And so we see that this angel comes to Mary. Joseph receives this word. And this angel tells Mary, that, uh, tells Joseph uh, as well that she will, speaking of Mary, give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. And last week we talked about the name of Jesus, how powerful that name is, and how Jesus means God saves. And so God is going to save through his son. He's going to save in a particular way. He's going to save people from their sins, from their moral failure. And so the first point we see is that God's ways are not our ways. God doesn't come in a ways that we think he should. And life often takes turns and, and is just filled with things that we don't expect, but we have to learn to wait and to trust them and to know that God is going to come through. Second, we see this prophetic fulfillment that God is with us, that God is with us. Look at verse 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. prophet. She, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So stay with me. This is something that Matthew is going to do in the next five stories, is Matthew is going to take an Old Testament passage and apply it to the life of Jesus. And this is what we call in theological terms typology, okay? And the way in which Matthew is going to apply it is probably not the way in which we often think of prophecy. We think of prophecy as a prediction that comes to pass, maybe with a one-on-one -on -one correlation. Well, Matthew is not going to do that with, with each of these passages, okay? He is going to, four of the five passages are not going to be direct one-on-one -on -one correlations. In fact, the average Jewish person, when they were reading, if they were reading their, their Old Testament, they would not have even ascribed these passages to as messianic passages or passages that's telling about the coming Messiah. But Matthew is going to use this typology and show as he reads through the Old Testament how this applied to Jesus, not necessarily with a one-to-one -one correlation, but how you can see these things or similar things being fulfilled in Christ. 
So when this was originally written, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it was a similar situation that was going on in Isaiah. And a word was spoken from Isaiah through God to the prophet King, uh, from Isaiah to King Ahaz. And this is the word or similar to the word that was spoken. So Jonathan Pennington helps us here with this definition of fulfillment, because over and over we're going to see in the book of Matthew this word fulfillment. And I think this is the best definition for what it means. Prophetic fulfillment traffics in a broader understanding of the figuration of all things under God's providence, sometimes in a predictive way. That's a one-on-one correlation. This is speaking of the, 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 uh, the Messiah, which we see passages in Isaiah that does that clearly but often only with a hindsight view of the likeness of events. And so Matthew is basically saying, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's a passage in Isaiah that was spoken that is like the event or the times that was happening when Jesus was born. And here is the greater or ultimate fulfillment that is found in Christ, and it's this verse. And what he's going to show us here. Is, is amazing. The word that he is about to give this young teenage woman and this young teenage man who would have been scared out of their mind because they could have been shamed and stoned and they're human. We need to humanize these biblical characters. They are not superheroes. There's only one hero in the Bible. They are human beings like you and me that God used for his mission and for his glory. And God gives them a word in season that is going to cause Mary to later rejoice in the midst of her situation in Luke chapter 2 and write a beautiful poem. God is going to give Joseph a word in season that rather than, make, uh, keep, rather than him losing his mind, it allows him to keep his faith and to persevere in faith in such a way that now he's going to be able to take his young wife on a 70-mile journey when, 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 uh, when, when uh, the, the decree is gone, uh, given for taxes and he's going to be able to go on the run. And uh, as we'll see next week, right, when Herod is trying to kill young boys, like God is going to give them a word, y'all don't hear me, that's going to keep them in the midst of their storms. And the reason I'm saying this is because I believe this word is for you and me today in the midst of our storms. Because some of us is going through a storm called infertility. And in this storm, you're wondering, where is God? And others of us, we're going through a storm called perhaps maybe same-sex attraction, where you know what the Bible says and you want to live faithfully, but, but you just don't know what to do with that and, and how that is to be done. Some of us are going through a storm called uh, financial debt, student loan debt. Some of us feel out of place in our family. Uh, uh, some of us are, are just suffering with depression and anxiety. Uh, some of our marriages are on the rocks. We all have storms. We all are carrying something in here. And if you're not, just wait, because either you are in it, you're headed towards it, or you're just coming out of it. But here is the word, here's the mantra that God wants to give you today. It's the same word that was given to Mary and Joseph, and it is this, Jesus is God with you. Jesus is God with you. I mean, that's literally what that prophecy was. Matthew is saying this word for Mary and Joseph is, is that Jesus, this baby, Jesus, is God with us. Like literally, 
He's pointing to the incarnation. <laughs> and why is that a big deal? Well, I'll tell you why that's a big deal. It's a big deal when you find yourself in the most difficult situation imaginable and you've done your best to serve God faithfully and you don't know what's going on to know that God cares enough about you to come in the flesh <laughs> to deliver you. And so how do you handle infertility? You, you live by this mantra, by faith, that God is with me. How do you handle a broken relationship, a broken marriage, disappointment, grief? You live with the mantra that God is with me. How do you handle crushing debt? How do you handle mental illness? How do you handle reaping from a sin that you committed years and years ago? As a Christian, you remind yourself of God's love for you, that he did not stand afar off as, a, as one who creates, but he came near. He drew near as a, and became human and humbled himself to become a child, and he is with you. It's fascinating. To a Jewish person that's reading the story, perhaps... They hear the story and, and maybe they think of other Greek stories, pagan gods who sleep with human women's and create people like Hercules or, or, or Aquaman, <laughs> all right? But this Christian story, though it is similar in some ways to Greek mythology, it's unlike Greek mythology, and one, it doesn't emphasize, the, the point here is not about sexual relations. In fact, Matthew is very clear that this was not a, was not a, a sexual encounter. Mary is a virgin. But also, this would have separated itself from Greek mythologies because this God who is born doesn't come how everyone thinks that the Messiah will come. In fact, he comes countercultural. He doesn't come with this bravado and, 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 and strength and, 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 and as the one who is, is bossing everyone around, but he actually comes as a, as a servant, as a baby, and he dies a shameful, embarrassing, gruesome death. And he draws near to the marginalized, to the, to the prostitute, to the, to the tax collector, to the, to the addict, to the, to the one whose life is falling apart. He pays attention to those who are normally ignored. He turns everything upside down. God is with us. It's not a message for the strong and the one who has it all together. God is with us. It's a message for the one who feels like they just can't get right. And that's what I love about the Bible, what I love about the New Testament, what I love about the book of Matthew this week as I was just reading. I'm like, yo, the heroes in Matthew, the people who, uh, uh, who wrote the New Testament, they needed God to be with them because they just couldn't get right. I mean, Peter just couldn't get right. The hero, uh, one who wrote most of the New Testament, we see the New Testament authors ending with him like, like betraying Jesus. Matthew, the one who wrote this book, he, he didn't have it all together. He, he was a thief, 
a tax collector. And this message, God is with you, is not for the person who has been living pristine, who has it figured out, and who's walking in perfection. It's for ordinary men and women like you and like me. And this message is for you tonight that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you. Just like in genealogy, he is not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your brokenness. He can take what Satan meant for evil and turn it to good. And that's his invitation to you tonight, to see that he is, he's with you. He's with you. All the surprises, he's with you. The heartache and confusion, he's with you. When you can't love yourself, he's with you. When you don't understand yourself, he's with you. When you don't want yourself, he's with you. with you. So here's my question to you today. Where do you need to apply this mantra in your life? What area in your life is Satan trapping you in shame and fear and guilt? What area is Satan keeping you captive in from being faithful to God because you believe that you are not good enough? I want you to think through that this week and write it down and to remind yourself that God loved you so much that he came to earth to save you and me, his church. The second is who in your life needs you to pray for them because you see that they don't believe that he is with them? Who in your life do you, can you intercede for this week or can you call on the phone and encourage them through the incarnation to stop believing lies that God doesn't care about them and to look to the scripture and ultimately to the cross and to see that Christ has come to save them for their sins and not only from their sins, but he is here with them in their situation. And even though he might not change their situation, that they need to have faith that he can change them in the situation. And God is calling some of us to stop being cute Christians, Christians who just think about people, and to become warfare Christians, Christians who stop thinking and who start getting on our face, praying and crying out, who's not afraid to let that snot come out and those tears go and that water flow on behalf of someone else believing that God cares and that it's through the prayers of the saints that he uses to make a difference. Get up from your place of, of, of apathy and self-pity and self-righteousness and to see that God is able, that he loves you and that he's with you. And I'm telling you, he can take your place of confusion and turn into a place of praise without your situation changing. Go home and read later Luke chapter 2. Mary's in the same situation. She's pregnant. The community of people around her probably have suspicion, but we see her praising Jesus. She writes a poem, which we call Mary's Magnificent. 
And what she is now able to find her identity and what God has told her and not in what other people think about her. And the same freedom God has for you, God is with you. When you feel overwhelmed this week, take a deep breath and say, God is with me. But who is God calling you to have mercy on? Because what ends up happening when we find ourselves in difficult situations is we can become short with those who are near us. And the practical application is weak. And the practical outplaying and fruit of us believing that God is with us is us having mercy upon people while we suffer. Joseph is a, a, is a type of Christ here. And that Joseph has mercy on Mary, even, and mercy is mercy. It means that he has every right, based upon what he knew at that time, to condemn her and to treat her a certain way. But because of the love of God and because of the Holy Spirit, he is able to love her. And mercy is a major theme in Matthew. We're going to see in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to teach, blessed are those, happy are those who are merciful. And a lot of times we don't have mercy upon people because at the end of the day, we believe that we have to get from them exactly what we feel we need. And we miss the fact that whether or not that person gives us what we need or not, that we have all that we need in Christ and that he is sufficient for us. Who is God calling you to have mercy on? Some of us, that's a, a parent, some things that's unresolved, a boss, a co-worker, a spouse, a child. But I want you to pray this week, God is with me, and to begin to extend mercy to someone. Mercy is just that. It's, it's being gracious to someone who perhaps doesn't deserve it. And the way we're able to do that is by remembering that Christ has given us who don't deserve it, mercy. Paul says, forgive just as you've been forgiven. Joseph is not our ultimate example. Jesus is. And every Sunday we celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross by taking a meal called communion together. This meal reminds us that God is with us. We touch bread, we drink wine or juice, and it's to remind us of what Christ did for us on the cross, how he became our atonement and our substitute, dying the death that we deserve, and how upon himself he took all of our sins, past, present, and future, and he buried it in the grave so that we can live a life free of condemnation. And he rose with all power in his hand, is seated on the right hand of God, and is coming back to make all things right. This meal reminds us that we can be faithful in the in-between because God is with us. And you may say, well, I don't have a physical baby Jesus, but you do have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, it's better that I go. <laughs> if you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you to really consider what is being said here today, that Jesus 
isn't just the, the, the Jewish Messiah, but Jesus is God. And the only way to reconciliation is through him. And if that sounds outlandish, or if that seems like it just takes too much faith to believe, I want you to stop and think about your own worldview because every worldview requires faith. And every worldview requires you come back to something that is supernatural that cannot be seen. Those of you in the front, you can come to the front. Those in the back can go to the back. Gluten-free and alcohol-free communion is to my left. I believe we have the prayer room open. If, uh, if you want to talk to somebody about who Jesus is or if you want to pray. And going to the prayer room is not like a, a walk of, of shame because you have to pray with someone. It's actually a sign of strength that you believe God's word. There were two or three are gathered together. He is, he is in the midst. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you have given us. I pray, Father, as we break this bread and dip it in wine or juice and wine which is marked by twine, that we will be able to remember that you are Emmanuel, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that wherever we are, that you can be there and manifest yourself there, um, uninhibited as we repent and turn to you and trust you. So help us to do that today and to apply this mantra to our lives. In Christ's name, amen.